Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Beyond Thought Philosophy Podcast. My name is Joseph Theodore, your host. And I really, really appreciate you for checking out the episode today. If you're new, I hope you can consider following and subscribing. If you are listening on Patreon, thank you for so much for being a Patreon. It really means a lot to me. I'm um, fairly new at all this, guys. So I know I've had a few YouTube comments recently that, um, you know, kind of get a little annoyed or were a little annoyed that I wasn't jumping right into the topic. And that's really just because I already have a bunch of you who have been around with me a while. And, you know, this is kind of a more intimate way for me to speak and you know there's kind of been a need for me to explain a few things <laughs> about the direction of the channel the direction of beyond thought generally speaking many of you who have been with me a while know what my deal is what my work's all about my hopes for the future in general, meaning the future of the channel and where I see my direction in life going in regards to my work, because I never really thought I'd be someone that would make digital content, honestly, if you asked me 15 plus months ago. So when the YouTube channel started doing a little well, I said to myself, wow, this may be an opportunity for me to continue expanding the way I want to go about sharing and teaching and continuing to learn myself, of course. That being said, I will do my best to get into the topic at hand quicker, guys. I promise we will be discussing idealism in philosophy, a wild, wild metaphysical concept in philosophy. And a topic that I've definitely spoken about many times indirectly. I haven't really specifically talked about it in a very kind of scholarly way, even though I'm not someone who would consider himself to be a scholar. As I'm not a professor, I'm not someone in the, you know, Oscar-winning fields of academics, if you will. Maybe one day I'll talk about my backstory and the way I've kind of come up in the intellectual and metaphysical, you know, field of work that I do, that I'm passionate about, that keeps me up at night and has driven me mad at times. <laughs> but I sure have not come down the orthodox road of... PhD and university stuff, you know, I'm actually a dropout and not a dropout because I couldn't cut it, but a dropout because institutions, in my opinion, have been hijacked and it's a shame. But at the same time, I'm not saying that about all institutions, I'm not saying that about all academic places, but in my reality, in the experience that I've had 
the choices I've made going to particular or wanting to go to particular schools or whatever the case may be. In the end, it was all a blessing, to be honest with you, because I soon realized that you don't need accolades upon accolades or whatever in order to have a voice in this day and age. But for me, yeah, the academic route and, you know, wanting to go up the ladder in, you know, I guess your resume is concerned. <laughs> um, not going through all that shit was beneficial to me. And a lot of people out there, you may be coming to this video who you might be super you know, heady and intellectual and have gone through the ranks of all of your schooling and that's great. Good for you. That doesn't work for everybody. And I'm not perfect and I am a very independent thinker. You know, this is probably where I get, you know, again, I'm a very, <laughs> I have a very rebellious nature to me even though I've done so much in my life to center myself, even spiritually. I mean, a lot of my work so far has been in the realms of spirituality and uh, metaphysics. And I think because of my inclinations towards that quote-unquote woo-woo stuff, I wasn't fit to be really in kind of higher education to begin with. Um, and because I'm also an artist, I kind of just leaned on that for a while. But yeah, that's that. But again, guys, I feel like I'm rambling about myself again. But you know what? To the person who said, you know, you talk about yourself too much, Joe. Listen, this is a one-man show for now. You know, I'm the only one here. This is my vision, my experiment of creating content, of creating a podcast. Trying my best to share insights and things that I find interesting, things that I contemplate and meditate upon all the time. I'm by no means someone who has everything figured out. But I will directly and fearlessly share what I feel like sharing. And a lot of my longtime viewers, you know, who haven't really got to hear me totally flesh out, you know, my thoughts in kind of a podcast form. I know a lot of you guys appreciate the fact that I'm, you know, kind of speaking to you. And, you know, if I open up about something personal, however that manifests in the conversation, I do it. Or before I get into the topic at hand, it's sort of just me settling into getting comfortable in front of the microphone and wanting maybe you guys to get comfortable with the beginning of the conversation that we're about to have. But for those of you listening on YouTube, or if you're even listening on Apple or Spotify, what you're listening to right now is not the full conversation today. If you want to listen to the full conversation, you must become a patron by going to patreon.com slash beyondthought. And for $8 a month, you can have access, early access to this episode or all the episodes coming before they hit YouTube or whatever. And you'll be able to hear and stream and download the entire episode, you know, and you won't even have to come to YouTube anymore. You won't have to do anything on Apple or Spotify, whatever. 
so today's episode, for those not on Patreon, you only get about 40 minutes of what we talk about today. And then the rest of the conversation is on Patreon right now. So idealism in philosophy. This is something I've spoken about in many different ways in some of my prior talks. Um, If you go back in my YouTube video history, you know, you may find a lot of stuff in which I talk about the mind, like, you know, just look for titles that have the word mind in it. Because idealism is all about the mind. It is a philosophy. It is a perspective. It is a belief that everything in the world is mind-made. Therefore, destroying the concept of materialism as an ultimate truth. Now, in my uh, talks on non-duality, something I've also spoken about quite a lot in the past, um, you know, 15 months, idealism kind of comes up a lot in that, or the idea that your mind is illusory, consciousness is the only truth, Well, this is not what idealism claims, so to speak, but in non-duality, you know, in the various systems that that kind of arises as a serious, final, philosophical perspective, the mind is seen as illusory and consciousness is the only reality, the only truth, because mind and consciousness need each other in order to manifest anything known, anything perceived, anything sensed which anything perceived and sensed essentially is life as we know it. Thought as we know it. Mental constructs. Mental states of all kinds. And in Buddhism, idealism is kind of a system that some Buddhists, I know, depending on their sect, their tradition, kind of look through an an idealistic lens. And we'll talk talk a little bit about that later. Because there is something, you know, I have notes and I want to read some things to you guys, you know, make it a little bit more precise, you know, when I talk about a few things and if you're not familiar with idealism, you know, this, what I, what I will read to you will be um, hopefully very clear on what idealism in classical philosophy is. But in Buddhism and even Hinduism, you know, some of the schools where non-duality plays a big, um, you know, that's a, it's like a big major focus. 
idealism comes into play because it's like that special dance between the world of ideas and mental mind states and consciousness that the ultimate claim is that all of reality is simply that and the manifestation of consciousness which is the ultimate mystery of mankind somehow plays a role in the mind creation and how for the dawn of human consciousness this has been a major influence of evolution And when I say evolution, I'm not even talking about the evolution of just organisms, biologically speaking, the evolution of ideas, concepts, which is why a lot of idealistic philosophers of our past, you know, when the intellectual started transcending the religious even though in a lot of religious, you know, classical religious circles of philosophers and theologians, you know, all this stuff was being discussed, you know, and it all kind of started from Plato, actually. And a lot of early Christians and Western thinkers that were still heavily religious, you know, looked at Plato very, very fondly in his assessment of the world of ideas and how could that really be what reality is so platonic idealism is really where all this started from as as most as most um western ideas but as we know now as the world expanded that idealism is not something that Plato was all about or the West or ancient Greece. This is stuff that was being contemplated in the Far East. This is stuff that was being contemplated in Buddhism and Vedantic circles. And really, when you think about it, meditation is really what arises a lot of these questions. So for me specifically, I think when you really practice a meditation practice that deals with dropping off body and mind, like a Zen meditation practice, a true Zen, like Zazen, not not just like what you would see at your local yoga shop you know uh ooh, zen meditation night no we're talking about real deal zazen which is not fun and it really doesn't help you know it's really not for the sake of relaxing only even though all meditation will relax you because without relaxing the body and the mind you won't really be able to understand it you won't be able to understand the mind to see the mind for what it actually is which is an illusion because it is constantly changing. There is no permanence to the mind. Consciousness is the only permanence that we kind of know at this moment. As far as an ultimate consideration of truth, in my opinion at least, because everything, without consciousness, there would be nothing. Period. 
But yeah, idealism has been something that's, it's been around for a long, long time. And for me, studying Buddhism for quite a long time, you know, a lot of the teachers that I've come across, especially in Zen, the Zen tradition that um, I've studied a lot in, they still claim idealism is not Buddhism. Because Buddhism wants to even transcend consciousness. Like that's part of their thing. They don't necessarily believe in anything that any Abrahamic religion would believe in. Because a lot of Buddhism is about purification of the body and the mind, and it's about meditation. And meditation is about going to the place of pure consciousness awareness and trying your best to sink into a samadhi, the depths of a, of a concentrated state where you don't even have thought. And then to realize there's something beyond consciousness which is what they call nirvana. So consciousness is even a hindrance in Buddhism. Because consciousness allows the mind, allows dualism, allows suffering. And all life is chaos and suffering according to the Buddhists. But idealism is a part of all of our lives. Whether it's an ultimate truth, philosophically and metaphysically speaking, the world we live in, reality as we know it, is made of ideas, is made of concepts, is made of the conditions that have evolved throughout the course of human history. And it's only been until humans... began to evolve, began to become more intellectual, began to think, and all for the sake of survival and adaptation, that the world of ideas and conditions and concepts and archetypes began to rise. And then again, really, this all started in ancient Greece when they started to rise to power and really started putting together some of the first social structures that would be the ground for what the West and all working civilizations would know to be now. And this is where idealism really started to take root in a serious way, in a way where this can actually aid even in some scientific breakthrough. Even though nowadays it's, this is not really a philosophy that's taken seriously, to be honest. I feel a lot of science, science people, physicists, you know, still very hardcore materialists in most ways. But I think with the rise of people very much interested in spirituality, to be honest, and 
people who are interested in consciousness studies and psychedelics. These are things that are very popular now. And I think a lot of people, because of these profound experiences that they're having, people who are very secular, because I feel the religious ideal in Western countries is dying very, very rapidly. And I think people need a replacement for, quote unquote, the tribal God before there could truly be a shift in meaning. So a lot of people talk about the meaning crisis, how Western countries are falling apart because of all these social political movements, which yes, I have a lot of opinions on that. I'm sure I'll get into that maybe one day, talking about all that stuff from a psychological and philosophical lens. But because the religious ideal is dying, we sort of are starting to see the resurgence of some wild metaphysical and philosophical ideas start to resurface in a more popular way um, because people are diving deeper into spiritual concepts. And however they're coming there is they're all different. You know, again, I kind of made a video or a episode on the New Age recently. You know, people who survive the, the, the craziness and the stupidity of the New Age, they end up sometimes coming out in a realm where they want to study philosophy or metaphysics or, you know, because we're getting to the place scientifically where consciousness is, um, you know, we're having the freedom to explore that now without judgment in many ways because, um, you know, there's a lot of people coming up in the generations ahead, you know, people like myself and people that are, uh, you know, maybe also have pretty large audiences, you know, podcasters, you know, people who bring on scientists and now they're making them popular. So, you know, there's a lot going on in the media space and in the spiritual space, like kind of the new agey spiritual space, but not always the new age space, but the psychedelic space, the wellness world, you know, there's a lot of little holes that people are finding their ways into classic and ancient philosophical ideas that are starting to become more legitimate. And a lot of the old like boomer philosophers and psychologists and science scientists, you know, who really stiff-armed metaphysical anything because everything has been about realism and everything's been about a materialism throughout some of the major scientific breakthroughs we've had in the last 50 60 70 years that now there's so much being discovered you know i hate the word quantum but like in a quantum way you know there's a lot of experiments being proven to be true in regards to the nature of reality that are kind of bringing ideas like idealism and um you know to the stage again and then with meditation being something that's so popular you know people who actually take meditation in their studies seriously in regards to whatever tradition that meditation is based in You know, people start to examine reality after understanding meditation, questioning materialism, questioning 
you know, reality as it is. So idealism and philosophy. Let me read some stuff to you guys. And for those of you who are sort of new to all this, you know, this can definitely be daunting and very hard to understand because um, we're just so used to living in a world where everything is felt, sensed, perceived, how everything is subject-object. And because the mind is so chaotically overactive we never as human beings take a moment to really examine you know why all this is even happening like what is life like what is the relationship we have to everything in this world which is a whole other conversation honestly because All life, honestly, is interconnected. Everything depends on each other. Even if it's messy. Even if it's chaotic. And there's some other schools of philosophical thought I'll talk about in which chaos and, you know, um, you know, in existentialism, I think there's like a, there's, there's something in there with you know, how life is just chaos and meaningless, but, but it's our job as an individual human to bring meaning and order to life. And by doing so, you actually continue on <laughs> the interconnectedness of how everything is supposed to be in the first place. But idealism and philosophy, also known as philosophical idealism, I'm reading now, by the way, also known as philosophical idealism or metaphysical idealism, is the set of metaphysical perspectives asserting that most fundamentally, reality is equivalent to mind, spirit, or consciousness. That reality is entirely a mental construct or that ideas are the highest form of reality, or have the greatest claim to be considered real. The radical latter view is often first credited to the ancient Greek philosopher Plato as a part of a theory now known as Platonic idealism. Besides in Western philosophy, idealism also appears in some Indian philosophy, namely Vedanta, one of the orthodox schools of Hindu philosophy, and in some streams of Buddhism. Epistemologically speaking, idealism is accompanied by philosophical skepticism about the possibility of knowing the existence of anything that is independent of the human mind. Ontologically, 
Idealism asserts that the existence of things depends upon the human mind. Thus, ontological idealism rejects the perspectives of physicalism and dualism. So there is a very non-dual intuition with idealism. And like I just said earlier, when I said most fundamentally reality is equivalent to mind, spirit, or consciousness, we can exclude spirit if we don't want to get into that realm of any sort of religious thinking or spiritual thinking. Um, and we can just look at the mind and consciousness as something that need one another. So if consciousness is this unknowable, still mysterious, you know, animation of all existence, which at times I've called that the source and God, you know, a part of God. If we want to talk about any sort of what God could be or what the source could be, you know, for me, I've always contemplated consciousness is a good place to start exploring. But the mind needs consciousness and consciousness needs the mind. Therefore, if the mind is all that there is, Non-duality is the ultimate answer. It is the ultimate philosophy, truth of existence. That there is a non-dual nature to everything that can never truly be compre can never truly be consciously experienced because we are consciously always in a state of duality. But nonetheless. Idealism asserts that the world is just mind. And in Buddhism, especially Zen Buddhism, there's this heavy emphasis on, you know, the one mind. And the one mind is unknowable. The one mind is what I would call their version of what they're trying to say is God or the source. But they're smart enough to not claim that that's God, an almighty savior. Um, or not a savior, an almighty uh you know, father or an almighty presence that is judgmental. But just plainly speaking, the animation of life and how the mind, because that is all of what reality is, according to idealism, that not only is all of reality essentially non-dual, but if consciousness is the source or God or whatever, then that means everything experienced through our experience is essentially the will of the source. But somehow we as humans have been given free reign throughout a process of evolution that has allowed natural selection to take place and somehow miraculously the intellect was born through acts of survival throughout human history because survival has led to being creative and problem solving and critical thinking and the ancient Greeks really when they started um, you know having a lot of time on their hands <laughs> 
and living in a good place in the world climate wise, you know, people had the ability to expand their consciousness, expand their minds. And yeah, probably tripping on some serious drugs. Which in the modern age, scientists and other doctors and people are starting to say that, hey, you know, psychedelics could have played a major role in the advancement of our intellect and our spiritualities and our religious beliefs. But anyway, let me get back into reading a little bit more here. So I think I stopped. Ontologically, idealism asserts that the existence of things depends upon the human mind. Thus, ontological idealism rejects the perspectives of physicalism and dualism. Because neither perspective gives ontological priority to the human mind. In contrast to materialism, idealism asserts the primacy of consciousness as the origin and prerequisite of phenomena. So, Where I come from, I don't negate, for example, materialism. Because here's the thing. All of these philosophies have a root in something very real to the human experience. It's just what philosophers and scientists and religious people and theologians and mystics have been trying to do forever is understand what is the ultimate truth. Like what is... What is the one thing we can all agree upon that, that is real? That is the truth. And again, this is why I'm still talking to you today about this stuff. And other people are talking to you today about this stuff. Because there is no answer to some of these things. There is no answer to some of these things. And with the rise of science you know, after the Enlightenment. The only thing people really knew that were breaking free of religion has the answers to everything is that at least science was beginning to prove certain things. Still being open to exploration and being wrong, but still things were being discovered that were proving strictly spiritual and religious ideals to be wrong. And the birth of philosophy in the highest sense that we know now is nothing but a continuation of this trial and error, seeing what's true, what's untrue, what can be tested, and all that kind of stuff. And the truth is, is that all these philosophies, you know, idealism, materialism, uh, non-dualism, you know, existentialism, um, you know, and, and the many, 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 many schools of philosophy, they all have their root in something that is experienced in our life. It's just as one more real than the other. Which one is closer to ultimate truth? But that final sentence I just read there <clears throat> is pretty... um. 
you know, this is a question that many, many people today are really focused on. That idealism asserts the primacy of consciousness as the origin and prerequisite of phenomena. But idealism doesn't necessarily take a consciousness-only model approach to reality. But they say that, you know, it's almost that. It's almost consciousness only. But there is this mystery of the mind, this, this mystery of duality, and how the conditions throughout natural selection and evolution have come to be that we can't just negate duality or we can't negate, you know, what the mind is. How, like, that still needs to be explored as a as an ultimate truth to reality itself, um, itself. You know, so a lot of non-duality teachers or people that teach in that non-dual, you know, fashion um, will strictly claim it's all consciousness. It's all the awareness. You know, everything else is just duality. It's what causes the suffering, which, yeah, okay, sure. Got it. Um, I definitely agree. But the reason why I, um, you know, talk about some of the things I talk about, and I know my longtime audience knows this about me, that uh, even though non-duality is attractive and, you know, makes a lot of sense to me, there is still a lot to explore and to investigate when it comes to the mind, when it comes to the world of ideas, of psychological conditioning. And how that plays a role in the very existence we live in. Now the real question is, is what we see and experience in the world just a reality to us, but an illusion from the next stage above that? You know, because in some schools of idealism, it's like nothing in the world really exists except through the lens of your own mind through your own cycle of evolution in this life. So someone you know is really just a manifestation of your own dream. Now, is that the truth? Now, in strict non-duality, it goes even beyond that and says, you know, nothing is real. Nothing at all. It's our ignorance to consciousness only and the beyond consciousness, ultimate, incomprehensible stillness of whatever the source is and how everything in life, period, full stop, must be negated as something completely unreal. And a lot of like heavy, heavy, old school Zen philosophers and Zen masters, you know, that's, that's the claim. And in very, very hardcore Neo-Advaita non-duality schools of thought, you know, that's, that's what they say these days, which to me is dangerous a little bit because, um, because, you know, when you see the rise of new spiritual thought systems and, you know, people who are taking classic, you know, ancient Indian non-dual philosophies and you know hardcore zen non-dual philosophies and bringing them to a psychologically damaged modern culture you know like i was talking about the new age in one of those recent episodes 
you know, you feed someone information about non-duality in the highest sense of the teaching. And you're dealing with people in a world and a culture and a society that's very sick, mentally ill, psychologically stunted. This is extremely unhealthy. You know, I feel like when you really get into these realms of high philosophical thought, meditation, you know, you really have to be prepared in order to go down that rabbit hole or else you're going to lose it. You know, you need baby steps. And I know a lot of people have come to my talks and maybe even this podcast episode or some of the things I do. I, I know I've met a lot of people in my time who, um, you know, will listen to me speak on stuff. And, you know, I always make sure to bring them back to their body, to bring them back to planet Earth and to tell them, hey, you know, every aspect of materialism and realism is just as important as contemplating these very, very deep thought systems that I believe have truth to them. Which is why, you know, at least in recent months and in recent weeks, honestly, and, you know, really months, I've been steering away from being like totally involved and wanting to speak strictly on non-duality, non-duality, because I know so many people out there who are interested in content like mine, who are interested in um, philosophy and metaphysics, you know, because I know a lot of people, you know, come to watch me and listen to me who are interested in not just, you know, non-duality, you know, and uh, it's been very important for me to discuss the psychological with the philosophical and the spiritual to be more logical and grounded so you can have the mental strength and the bravery and the fearlessness to go into some of these you know these topics that will completely shatter the worldview of almost everybody you know, these, these, these concepts and philosophies aren't for the faint of heart. And I struggle myself, guys. You know, doing, here's the thing. Someone recently said to me, you don't really seem like you're that interested in your work sometimes. And I said, well, to be quite honest with you, it's not like the work, I chose the work. The work chose me. I have, I've had no input in the fact that I am just a seeker of truth, that I am just wired for wanting to understand things as deeply as I can. And people, you know, if anyone knew me in my real life, you would see some of my my relaxing behaviors. Like I I uh I um like I'm a huge fan of comedy. You know, I watch the dumbest comedy podcasts. You know why? Because it takes me away from some of this deep deep stuff. Like I need a break from it. And people who start getting into this stuff you know they get over, they they get in over their head and they lose track of the ground of reality the ground of reality meaning the ground of dualism and still being able to play a proper role in this life now i feel like i just went off on a tangent but um 
but yeah, idealism in contrast to materialism, which materialism is something we all agree with. It's what most people believe is real. You know, everybody, most people believe an almighty God created the material world and it's real. Where the greatest mystics and now scientists are starting to claim that no, a lot of these idealistic philosophers and a lot of these ancient philosophers who were diving deeper into the nature of reality and consciousness, um, even though they were using the word God back in the day, in reality, we're starting to break free of materialism. And I think people are ready for it. Um, I don't think many people know actually about idealism, you know, in a very classical sense. But um, it is one of the many truths that we know to be true. Which is a start in the right direction of people who are willing to open their minds to anything beyond materialism. But we need materialism. We do. Because without materialism and the philosophy of materialism, you know, somehow still playing a role, because if everyone tomorrow in the entire world just decided like, oh, idealism is the new religion of everybody, like, you know, most people, I don't know. I don't know how productive people would be. You know, we need... Uh, we need, we need people in this world that are just as hardcore materialistic and atheist as we do people who are extremely metaphysical and philosophical because without one another to bounce each other um, off, to bounce ideas and things off of each other, there would be no convincing one of the other, you know, and putting forth an argument that would be something to be thought of you know, in a serious way. Now, I hope that was informative for some of the listeners um, who are on YouTube. And if you're watching this on any of the other podcast streaming services, I am now going to switch over end this portion of the episode and continue on for the patrons. I have a few more things I want to read, you know, that I have written down here and we'll explore a little bit further idealism in philosophy. But again, I've spoken on this a lot, guys. Um, you can go back and watch other videos that I have where you see my face, actually, <laughs> and watch me talk about some of this stuff. But I've never actually spoken about it in a, uh, you know, kind of classical way that I'm doing now. But idealism, this really is where, you know, again, if you've studied Buddhism or if you have done any sort of research into the nature of consciousness or you know, scrolled around on YouTube and come across, you know, some pretty advanced thinkers talk about idealism, then, you know, some of this stuff may, you know, you might already know some of this stuff. But there is a whole school of thought behind this 
uh, and a lot of Western effort put into it in order to make it a little bit more digestible to everybody. And to me, I think it's just a wild philosophical system that has its place, that is real. We can't deny that idealism is a thing. It's really, is it the ultimate truth? Where some very, very strict materialists have no interest in talking about consciousness, really. Um, it just doesn't matter to them. Like, they just are like, yeah, we're conscious. Yeah, we have consciousness, but they think consciousness is the mind itself. You know, like there's no room for, you know, going further beyond that for someone who's a strict materialist. And then people who decide they're a strict materialist, they have a whole other mission in life and whatever they're up to. But the truth is, is we all, we all live in a world of materialism. We all live in a world of idealism. And we all are conscious. And they all play a role together. As far as we know it in reality. And they all should mean something of importance to us. But those of us who like to think and those of us who like to go beyond, you know, these are the conversations we enjoy. All right, YouTube, all right, anyone on Spotify, Apple, or whatever streaming service you're listening to, um, you know, stay tuned for the next episode and please become a patron if you would like to just sit back and relax and listen to the entire episode without having to, you know, stop listening now. But for anyone who is a patron, just hang on tight, about 10 to 15 seconds, and we will get back into our conversation. All right, patrons, let me just take a sip of water. And I hear a train coming. Yeah, so some of you guys, you already know, there's a train crossing kind of nearby from where I record this because I don't have some fancy, fancy schmancy studio or anything. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. The microphone I use is pretty good. And you really can't hear it, to be honest, when it goes by. Or you kind of you hear it. It depends on how loud they honk. And if you're from the Jersey Shore, you know, kind of the whole New Jersey transit to New York City, you know, depending on how close you are from a crossing and how uh, disgruntled the conductor may be, that all depends on how loud the honk is. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, guys, let's explore and let's go on a little bit further on idealism, the philosophy of idealism. And before I do that, there will be a lot of conversation here with the podcast that's not strictly just all about philosophy, you know, but... Um, because the whole idea with beyond thought philosophy is to 
explore many different topics throughout culture, spirituality, psychology, and philosophy. So there's a lot that's going to be discussed here on the channel or on the podcast. I have to start saying that more. I'm so used to just having YouTube. Um, because I have a lot to say these days. And I made a choice that I'm not just going to keep myself in a box talking about strictly spiritual things, even though all of life to me is some kind of spiritual experience. It's just how do you define spiritual is kind of the big question we all have to ask ourselves because spiritual does not mean religious. It just means, well, to me, it just means an essence of reality that can't be explained, that arises all phenomena, that arises our mind, that arises consciousness, and how there is a mystery to love and unity that to me is an extremely important part of human existence and human harmony. And being spiritual is about getting clear with that. Being grounded, being loving, being compassionate. Where being religious is about faith and is about giving up your power and following rules that were really only put in place for power and control and yes, to a degree for ethical behavior because one could argue all Western ethics and morals evolved from some of these rules and dogmas but at the same time, there have been many cultures around the world that didn't have these rules and dogmas and people behave themselves just fine. But we can't negate that religious ideas have played a role in that, you know, and charity work and medical, you know, advancements. But again, there was a lot of bloodshed in order to get there. Anyway, I want to just continue reading more that I have here about idealism and some of it's a little bit you know like it's a little scholarly i guess you can say but um i just want to keep reading to you and kind of see what you can take from this and uh the first thing i'm going to mention the first little sentence it says during the european enlightenment for anyone who doesn't know what the enlightenment was in europe it was this time period in the 1800s, late 17s, early 18s, mid 18s, where discoveries were really, really becoming a thing. Scientific discoveries, um, philosophical questions and inquiries were being put out into the world, and people were taking them very seriously. And also there was a very, that was the beginning of the big push away from religion having the truth and answers to everything. And this is where idealism really started taking root. So the Enlightenment period is what a lot of atheist and secular people rely on for the moving away from religion to a world where the tribal god can take a back seat. 
Warbeak eliminated completely. And a lot of Enlightenment thinkers, modern philosophers, some of them really, really negated God. You know, but again, the only people who really, really, really negate God are the nihilists. Because a lot of others, again, many scientists and, you know, the Enlightenment period where idealism was really take, you know, becoming a big thing. Yes, the tribal God is what, what was dying. The tribal God. The Abrahamic God. But still, people were open to this source of what is even animating all of this anyway. Like, is that God? But anyway, let me just start reading to you guys. <laughs> During the European Enlightenment, certain qualified versions of idealism arose, such as, such as George Berkeley's subjective idealism, which proposed that physical objects exist only to the extent that one perceives them, and thus the physical world does not exist outside of a mind. So this would be sort of what I said a little bit earlier. I don't know if you remembered where I said, you know, some schools of idealism are nothing exists outside of your mind. So me talking to you, me sitting at this desk, me looking up this computer, this only really exists because my mind, it's, it's being created by my mind, like a dream. I'm just creating this as if I'm dreaming. But it doesn't really exist. Or I can look at someone I know in the real flesh and they're only a figment of my mind. They don't really have an essence of their own, a reality of their own. So subjective idealism is, is really all about that, which is wild to think about. Continuing, according to Berkeley, who was an Angelican bishop, a single eternal mind keeps all of physical reality stable. And this is God. So this Angelican bishop, George Berkeley, seems to be like a mystic. He would have probably made a really good Zen Buddhist monk back in the day. A single eternal mind, because in Zen Buddhism they use the term one mind. The one mind, this single eternal mind, keeps all physical reality stable, and this is God. Moving on to the next paragraph I have here. By contrast, Immanuel Kant, another massive philosophical giant, said that idealism does not concern the existence of things, but that our modes of representation of things, such as space and time, are not determinations that belong to things in themselves, but are essential features of the human mind. Thus, Kant's 
Transcendental idealism proposes that objects of experience rely upon their existence in the human mind that perceives the objects. And that the nature of the mind in itself is external to human experience, unable to be conceived without the application of categories, which gives structure to the human experience of reality. And Kant's philosophy would be reinterpreted by many German idealists. A lot of this stuff, guys, I mean, Germany was a breeding ground for philosophy um, in the 1800s. And a lot of them, you know, emphasized the mental and ideal character of all phenomena. And this gave further birth to idealistic and subjective schools, you know, ranging from British idealism to phenomenalism to existentialism. Um, and again, to this day, idealism is, you know, depending on who you talk to, because a lot of, uh, you know, in a lot of science right now and a lot of, um, physics and quantum this and quantum that, and, you know, guys like Donald Hoffman and new spiritual movements that are really kind of bringing non-duality to the surface again, um, you know, idealism is, a uh, it's like sitting on the back burner, you know, in a mainstream type of way, but there's other things that are just overwhelming it and, uh, and not really making it a philosophy that could stand, you know, all together strongly on its own, which is a shame. But at the same time, you know, I think idealism ultimately will never be a foundation of true ultimate truth because we still have this mystery of consciousness. And, and just like Anglican Bishop George Berkeley said, you know, we have to understand that this single eternal mind, essence, whatever, you know, that's the truth. Like that's where it all comes from. And the problem with the human mind and the human story is that we don't know why. And we don't know why conditions of intellect evolved the way they did, except that they did. You know, and as we know from a human story perspective, you know, the human being, there were many races and many species of, our, of the human, and natural selection was able to evolve the survival of whoever was the fittest, right? And this survival is what evolved creativity, what evolved the psyche. And then again, archetypes pretty much manifested through, you know, roles that human beings had to play in their tribes, in their communities, you know, dating way back when to the beginning of humankind. And this mystery of the mind and the evolution of intellect and the mind, you know, it, it's, it's a huge, huge philosophical argument and debate and contemplation. And this is why we're still talking about it today.
But the truth is, is idealism is a, is, is a real, it's a real concept. It is a real thing. You know, we do have minds. We do have ideas. Everything in the world as we know it has meaning because we put the meaning onto it. It is strictly for, you know, you know, the ease of communication. I mean, that's why language exists. So we could easily have a way to interact and evolve intellectual things. Continuing on, Indian philosophers proposed the earliest arguments that the world of experience is grounded in the mind's perception of the physical world. Hindu idealism gave panatheistic arguments for the existence of an all-pervading consciousness as the true nature, as the true grounding of reality. In contrast, the Yogacara school, which arose within Mahayana Buddhism in India in the 4th century, based its mind-only idealism to a greater extent on the phenomenological analysis of personal experience. So in Indian philosophy and in Buddhism, which have been talking about this for quite a long time, even though ancient Greece, I would say, you know, those germs of ideas were, were really born there. But who's to say, you know, how far back... Um, Indian philosophy have been discussing this. I would like to think in the East, they were, they were very heavily involved in discussing these things maybe way before the Greeks because meditation, as far back as anyone could truly know, has, was, was, is, has always been a heavily Eastern practice. And when you meditate... I mean, realizing the nature of mind and that the mind is not really the only thing at play is uh, kind of the first revelation everybody gets. Especially back in the day when your entire life depended on the cycles of nature, the survival of your everyday existence. And then again, if you did have some kind of spiritual or religious system going on, you know, and I'm in the East and all of the East, there, there always has been something, even... You know, even if it's been a kind of paganism, because, you know, everybody at some point in the dawn of spirituality and religion came from a pagan type of place, worshiping nature, worshiping the sun, you know, because it's, it's all people knew. But in the East, meditation kind of was created there, you know, to, to an extent that was, has always been a foundation of their life. And of how they experience or, or how they put an explanation to their experiences, you know, through meditation. So it's not surprising to me that idealism really took form as something very, very serious at a certain point, especially as the ancient Greeks were definitely influencing the Indians and the Buddhist, um, you know, early Buddhist people, you know, because all of the stuff from ancient Greece and Northern Africa and 
you know, the Library of Alexandria and all that stuff, all, all that started spreading, you know, everywhere. And only did they all start to merge and realize how some, so many of them had the same kind of ideas. So whether people have come to idealism through, you know, again, um, I think in ancient Greece, they were, there was a lot of heavy thinkers with a lot of time on their hands. Because I feel if you actually look at history, countries and places that kind of had like their safety, security, and survival, like on lockdown, that they were good it gave room for a lot of mystics and philosophers to be born and a lot of writers to be born to tell stories, to try to explain reality. So in ancient Greece, you know, this is where, you know, I don't want to say it started. This is where it started from the Western, in a Western way, where psychedelics could have had an influence you know, there was definitely a lot of intoxicants in ancient Greece that allowed people to think more deeply. Meditation definitely was a thing even in ancient Greece. And the Indian influence to ancient Greece and the ancient Greek influence to India definitely played a role in a lot of these philosophical uprisings. Now, idealism as a philosophy came under heavy attack in the West at the turn of the 20th century. And G.E. Moore and Bertrand Russell, I'm not, I'm not sure, you guys probably don't know who these people are. But, um, you know, they came, you know, because in the 20th century, you know, when science really started gaining a footing, you know, at a very high level, you know, realism kind of became the thing. And realism just continued to be born into strict materialism, which is was the, really the beginning of the downfall of all types, you know, of Christianity, really. You know, looking at the creation stories and the ideas from the Bible as being the, you know, the explanation for everything. Once everyone found out that the, the earth wasn't the center of the universe, but actually the universe is much bigger than the earth, you know, this is where science kind of took a turn to straight realism and materialism. And because of that, we've had a lot of major, major materialistic discoveries in our history, which is a good thing. You know, medicine and furthering technology to understand more about the universe. But if you under but if you actually see the trend right now, because we're like finding out so much materialistic, realistic stuff, quote unquote, you know, realism, materialism. People are starting to go, okay, well, I think we need to go back now though. Because now science is saying, after going through all the realist, realism, materialism, scientists are now getting to the discoveries of what is consciousness? Idealism. All this stuff is starting to come back into the conversation. And I think there's many reasons for that. One, I think young people are mystical and they're, and they're looking for more meaning outside of some kind of religion. And we all intuitively sense that there is something deeper 
to reality than just what we see. And physics is really paving the way for some of this to become more mainstream. And again, people, because of this stiff arm to religion and people wanting to meditate and wanting to have some kind of spiritual meaning in their life, it's bringing people backwards into philosophical conversations that can maybe now be taken seriously. There's a reason why non-duality is so popular on YouTube. There's a reason why people are so interested in meditating these days. Or at least people who are serious about the philosophy that goes behind their meditation practice. And trust me, we're a long way from people really taking these philosophies seriously, in my opinion, at least on a mass scale, because I think humanity really is in a downward spiral in many ways. Um, and I think there's a gap between the religious world that has ended. There's the scientific uprising now, but there's still this longing for meaning that God, the tribal God, really had an influence over people. But now we're entering into a world where freedom is such an important part of our life. And we're all longing for philosophy and meaning in our life that can bring us peace, acceptance, unity, which in many ways is giving birth to a lot of socio-political movements that are unhealthy, you know, for the most part at the moment because people are still using violence and aggression in order to get their political point, point across. Whether that's kind of like woke stuff or hardcore right-wing stuff. When in reality, if people really just focused on some of these high-level philosophical conversations and somehow realize like, hey, there's been a lot of schools of thought in a very spiritual, non-religious, tribal God sense that really point to, you know, some of the most deepest, profound mysteries in, uh, to our existence. Why don't we focus on that and stop focusing on the division in the materialistic world? You know, this is where philosophy and uh, metaphysical stuff really can change someone's life. So anyway, guys, that's all I'm going to talk about today. Um, I could definitely go on and talk about this a lot longer and really get into detail, you know, on, you know, stuff going on from the time of Socrates and then talk more about Platonism and Neoplatonism and, you know, even Christian and Chinese philosophy and, you know, more into Buddhism. But, um, you know, I think this is enough. This is like already an hour plus episode. Um, I do hope you enjoyed it. I really do. 
uh, yeah, guys. So, you know, I'm still getting my footing here and I'm not sure how many people are actually going to listen to this episode. I don't really have many patrons right now, you know, as far as the end part of this episode, but you know, there's a lot that I want to talk about. You know, there's a lot that I want to talk about on this show and, you know, there's a lot of me that I'm going to share personally. And, you know, I hope you don't just take, I hope you don't think this is podcast is just a straight educational place. This is me living my life and exploring these subjects just as much as you are. I, yes, probably have a little more expertise and a little bit more experience in these topics and probably many, many hundreds of hours of meditation and alone time and you know, a lot of sacrifices in my life to, you know, dedicate myself to these spiritual and intellectual pursuits. But I'm in the same boat as you. And I'm just going to talk from my heart. I'm going to be me. And, you know, this isn't like a, a channel or a show that's here to just teach you from the books. I will 100% refer to books. I will refer to texts. I will refer to very factual uh, things that have been written, that have been philosophized over. I will talk about certain figures in history and discuss them, but I will do it in a way where we're doing this together. This is a conversation between me and you. And then one day if I have guests, you know, it'll be an actual conversation between me and whoever's with me. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, guys, I do hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, and, um, I really appreciate your support. Thank you so much. And I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.